authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively, and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Authors, I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is with children's indie author Christina Brown, and we're chatting on workshopping in libraries, connecting with your local youth collection librarian, what to include when pitching libraries, rates of pay, best and worst bits of workshopping, Christie's tips, her books, and so, so much more. This is a really jam packed interview on all that you should be doing if you want to get yourself into workshopping in your local libraries. And I just want to make mention that the episodes that I record for the podcast are generally done before the day of, you know, not on the day of release, but probably a few weeks before, if not a couple months before I batch episodes. So sometimes things might be said that I've not edited out that might date it, but you know, I'm sure that you'll get the gist. I think in this one, we talk about book week just being or something like that, which was obviously last month. So in my author adventure this week, I'm back on the traditional publishing submission submarine. (laughs) I have two works out there at the moment, the junior fiction and also the one of my picture books is out on submission. What I was thinking as well, they're both through that submittable portal. If you're familiar with that, I've talked about it previously on the show. And I also think that it's a great place to be able to obviously see all your submissions in one place, but also it's, it's bad because you can keep checking in on the status of them and I think if you listen a few months back I was driving myself a bit crazy but what is good actually is that to have multiple submissions out at one time so if one declines if one is rejected then you've still got hope for the others so I think that's quite a good process rather than just having one work on submission try and have a couple try and have some some different works out there a few weeks back I was at a workshop with Zanny Louise who's a children's author here in Australia and Zanny was talking about a time where she had pitched all these ideas and she had different things out there like really went to town and she had a few things come back at the same time and uh, I think it's a good uh, approach really you know the scatter I don't know if you call it the scattergun approach but rather than just one idea and one work you know I mean there's nothing wrong with one idea and one work that might be all you have at this stage but for myself I do have a couple of works I've got lots of works actually that are at various stages that need to be worked on but the truth is I've just worked on them for so long the thought of going back to them is uh, just stomach wrenching although it's quite glaring to me now with the uh, experience I've had since what could potentially be wrong with that manuscript or how to make it better these manuscripts are not 
gone and forgotten about. They will emerge. They will have their time to shine. So yeah, I'll keep you posted there. So for, as you can tell, you know, I feel quite upbeat again being back in that submitting phase. That's the that's the nature of the game, isn't it? For the traditional publishing, you put stuff out there. It might get taken, it might not. And if not, you just have to keep going again. So it's like that horrible, nasty feeling when it gets rejected and then you just put stuff out there again and there's that feeling of hope and you're 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 starting over so yeah <laughs> it's quite a sadistic sadistic industry actually this week we're again it's still quite slow uh in my author business because this is the final week of school holidays and things as if you're a parent then you you know that things are always uh pushed i've also like you know to get stuff done or whatnot still ticking along with the women's fiction and i'm still following up with my marketing of my non-fiction books but as i said it's all a little bit slower than usual i have also started a new role a new job which is outside of writing for the first time i had wanted to get a job that was different to this industry so for the last oh my goodness since i undertook my writing degree which was back in 2013 it must have been or two 12 or something I graduated in 2016 I have been in writing roles ever since I have been freelance writing when I left uni set up my own business and thought that I could do freelance writing on the side whilst I built up my book business and that didn't actually work out because if you know if obviously if you're authors and you which is a business it is very hard to ha- even just build one business up let alone two so the freelance writing took a back seat and I ended up getting a commercial tech script writing job through a media company which I worked for for the last four years part-time while still writing my books and endeavouring to have this author career because that is my dream. My dream is to have a sustainable career as an author which is writing books. Book format is what I'm interested in but right now I am earning a small income from my books but I still need to pay the bills as well and at the moment this business is not sustaining that. So yeah I've gone into a completely different job. I've only just started this week and I'll let you know how it goes but it is going to be something that is helpful to my writing in terms of being able to you know it's it's different new challenges every day it's different experiences I'm meeting people I'm working with people I'm outside which was something I wanted because my body was getting I, I did a episode on the podcast I'm it fails me now which number it was but it was Meg McKinley on RSI and my hands and feet were getting tingles and things like that from sitting at the computer for all that long for that tech script writing job all the clicking I was doing with my hands was really sore that I had to wear stints on you know and I just thought I can't this is not something I'm gonna have to be able to sustain going forward I want to write books for a living I need to keep this writing for myself and do it differently in a more healthier way and have another industry pay the bills until this business is making the kind of money I need it to to support myself and my family so the new job is I I, wait for it if you've ever heard of a Segway I am a Segway tour guide Now, it's just, it's an incredible job. And Segways, uh, honestly, I love the movie Mall Cop. That's one of the first ones, apparently. But it's actually an awesome, so far, it's been a great job. Uh, it doesn't feel like a job, but it's, it's pretty hard work as well. There's lots going on.
So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author career, you can now pay it forward by buying me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash the hybrid author. Let's all support each other. Christinita Brown is a junior fiction author from Western Australia. Her debut chapter book, Looking for Lily, was shortlisted in the 2023 West Australian Young Readers Book Award and won second place in the 2022 Children and Young Adult Aspiring Authors Competition in the Younger Readers Chapter Book category. Qualified teacher and TAFE lecturer, Christy delivers creative writing, independent publishing and filmmaking workshops at libraries and schools and is an active member of the Australian writing community. Welcome back to the Hybrid Author Podcast, Christy. Thank you. So you've been on the podcast before, episode 36, which was a while back now, chatting about self-publishing for junior fiction. Today's topic, we're talking about workshopping in libraries, which is something that you are currently out doing and, and doing a fabulous job, might I add. So we'll start with, in your opinion, what do you think comes first, creating a workshop around your books and then sort of pitching to librarians? Or do you think that you can pitch to librarians without sort of having the workshop ready to go and just sort of be pitching an idea? Yeah, I think you could probably do both. I think not having an idea of what you want to do is a little bit scarier. And I think it helps a lot that I've got the teaching background because I'm not as scared. But I think the most important thing is to have a librarian who champions you and can kind of give you a little bit of guidance or mentorship or at least talk to you about previous authors and what they did. So I was lucky enough to have my local library, which is uh, the town of Vic Park. Um, One of the librarians there, a lovely lady, she found out about my book. We just chatted because I used to go in there a lot with my children and then she said well you're a teacher come on let's get organized let's do one (laughs) so I was like okay (laughs) I put together an idea and I asked her what she thought so she was lovely to look at my presentation before I actually came in and did it and she was like yep let's go for it so that's kind of how it happened for me that was really important just to have that one kind of champion I think you need that when you're starting out and it kind of moves on from there Yeah, wow. Do you think that most librarians would be like that? Are they quite welcoming in that way, do you think? No. (laughs) (laughs) I've had some fantastic experiences. And I think, yeah, it definitely depends on the library. But I would suggest, so most libraries are kind of connected. So in my area, we have Vic Park, but we also have South Perth down the road. And we have Ruth Faulkner in Belmont. So there's a few libraries floating around and they talk to each other. So if you don't find the right person at a library, don't be disheartened. So you would want to call, like speak to the person who looks after the youth collection and you just let them know you're an author and you'd like to find out if you can do some workshops or a book launch or whatever it is you want to do. And then once you find that one person, you just cherish that relationship and nurture it. Always be kind and be open to suggestions. And yeah, hopefully that person is the right person, which mine was. <laughs> and then when I actually did my workshop, she took photos for me and she gave me a testimonial, which was fantastic, a beautiful quote about my session and she honestly really liked it so that helped me then she kind of encouraged me she said like why aren't you doing more of these I hadn't even thought about it so actually the day I presented I thought oh well I'm on such a high I'm just going to go to the next library and chat to them so I I literally just drove to the next library which was South Perth and I said I've just done a presentation it's gone really well this person said I should be booking more and they're like right we'll get the youth coordinator (laughs) for you (laughs) the next thing I'm like standing in front of another person and she's like tell me all about your stuff how did it go oh that's great I I like that you've done that (laughs) 
yeah, I think it helped a lot because it was fresh in my mind. And then she was like, great, we're going to book you. So it could be a little bit of luck with timing as well. I think it's important that you know uh, the libraries, their schedules. So they generally do workshops, creative writing workshops or author talks during school holidays. And they also do a big chunk during book week, which a lot of authors refer to as book month. Mm. And um, December, they struggle to find people as well because uh, a lot of authors will go away or it's their break time, but they still need to run things. Mm. So knowing those kind of dates and then probably approaching the library three months out because they like to set up their ticket links, which are usually a month out, and they like to advertise. So just being there at the right time is fantastic and yeah and if you've done anything before like if you're a qualified teacher or you've done you know presentations anywhere like in your job uh, let them know that you're comfortable do you think that they're more inclined to go with you because you're a teacher and you've got that presenting forward or or no like if you're already sort of pitching them and you're the idea of the workshop is probably what they'll go on rather than your experience do you think well I think it's helped a lot that I'm a teacher Mm. um, because I have the working with children check and it was easy for me to follow up public liability and things like that so it's helped me and my if you think about my branding like and my education background the way I present uh, a lot of librarians will come up to me afterwards and say oh you can really tell you you're a teacher you've Mm. got a way with like um, saying positive things and getting them moving and engaged and yeah doing lots of activities so I think it helps with my branding but I don't necessarily think you need to be a teacher I think you just need to be confident and kind and come to them with an idea sometimes the author talk where you sit up there and answer questions depending on the situation that will work like more like a panel thing but I've definitely moved away from that that's not what I want to be doing I want to be engaging and I want to move fast and have a lot of fun yeah so the more yeah, like interactive think, yeah that's right I think that if you were trying to pitch just a QA and a or a panel session you would find it quite hard because you know you're also competing with every other author in the state and there's a lot of authors perhaps that have more experience in that stuff mm-hmm. and probably publish more I think sure. it's important to find your point of difference and what you can give based on who you are as a person Mm, absolutely. Just to let everybody know, we're focusing on workshopping libraries for children because you're a children's author rather than, say, for, for adults. So with the workshops, if obviously someone maybe feels has written a book and they want to do workshops on it and they feel relatively confident, but they maybe aren't a teacher or have experience going out there. So obviously the best way to learn is to attend these workshops yourself, I suppose. Would you agree? And uh, Well, I would, but I also, I am hesitant to say to jump straight in if they're a little bit cautious because it could go bad and then it may like damage their confidence or they might not um, want to do it again in the future when if they just had one really good session it might have changed that whole kind of trajectory. So I think I actually would love to do it. There is a course at the Australian Writers' Centre about uh, presenting and I think it's with Nat Amor. Yeah, I and I had a, a podcast little... with them <laughs> like oh, a couple yeah, of episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so, yeah do, doing courses and then, uh, but still going to see what other authors do in their author talks like oh totally yeah I was lucky sneak in you should definitely sneak in if you have a child enroll them (laughs) 
but even still like I I work at the library and do my writing there and as I said because it's been book week I happen to go into my local library and rather than the authors actually going for the local school going to that school the kids were coming to the library for the sessions and I knew the author that was there uh, Kitty Black I've already given her a shout out and I just was so excited to see watch her in action so I felt like a bit of a creep you know sitting like watching them (laughs) in the library but no one you know no one cared but I hadn't seen her present and it was really awesome to see what she'd done so absolutely I think going along and seeing how other and and even uh, like the Squibby the Backyard Book Fair that's a good one to see how authors present that's not a workshop though that's that sort of presenting and stuff but yeah yeah, and of course State libraries too, they often mm. have presentations. That's yeah. a great idea. You should totally do that. I it, when I presented at Book Week, I would not have noticed if you were stalking in the background. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't blind, honestly, but it was really cool. And also, I think they had Bren McDibble. Is that how you say her last name? She was there as well. And it's funny just to to watch all the different styles. But in terms of creating the workshop, what's a good length for children? And also, I guess the point of a workshop is is it for authors? Is it to pro- promote their books? And obviously books in general and a love of reading and learning and things like that. So would the author of a book, of their book, would they try and create a workshop around like the themes of their book and stuff like that? Is that what everybody does? Okay, so you've had two questions there and I have not had much sleep, so (laughs) remind me. (laughs) But the first question I think was the length. Generally Mm. with the age group I do, so I do, um, I'm really comfortable with like seven-year-olds through to 12-year-olds when I'm talking about looking for Lily which was my debut book. So for those guys, uh, I always do kind of an hour session and that's based on my experience as a primary school teacher as well. But at about 45, 50 minutes, they start to lose the plot and that's when you need to up the ante, like you want to get them moving or you want to do, you know, 10 minutes for question time. I like to get them to dress up as a sprite. So I give them like long pokey noses and little elf ears and antennas and stuff. And they get to take, you know, the teacher will take a photo with them wearing that kind of stuff. So you can generally write off the last 10 minutes of the hour and do something really fun. And then for maybe and Beth, that's a younger target demographic. So I'm looking at probably five-year-olds to 10-year-olds. I find that group a lot harder um, because I have to go a lot slower and also because generally they don't know how to write letters yet or words. So everything needs to be uh, activity-based but just using their hands, you know, so like cutting, pasting, stay away from paints. So with those guys, I'll make kazoos. We'll do a little bit of reading. We'll talk about character. They'll definitely dress up in something Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we'll play some games. So I think for um, length, I definitely would not go over one hour with one group. And then your other question was about selling books. So I don't think about workshops as an opportunity to sell my book directly to the people because I'm actually getting paid for that session. So the way that I do it is I integrate my books into the uh, content of the workshop. So if I'm talking about creative writing or brainstorming, for example, character ideas or a story idea, then I will talk about other books in industry, but I'll also include my own book and talk about how I got my ideas. And then, for example, I have a section when we talk about a problem. If a character faces a problem, what are some examples of problems? And then I actually read the first chapter of my new book, Maybe and Beth, because it uh, clearly states multiple problems uh, upfront in that first chapter. And then I ask them to identify it and then they start to suggest new problems. So I kind of, I, I am promoting my book in a way, but I'm using it within the content of the workshop. And then I also give out bookmarks, beautiful bookmarks, double-sided, really bright. Uh, they have my books on it and quotes and 
uh, you know, beautiful pictures and patterns. So that's kind of going into their hands. And I also, with the older kids, use a worksheet which they collect data as they play games. And if you flip that over, there's a couple of pictures of my books and some, you know, like a little blurb and a little bit of information. So it's kind of, it's not so much promoting my books, but just finding little avenues for mm. it to be there if they were interested to purchase. Yeah, no, fair enough. That's great. And you've given lots of tips there for what you do. And if someone's wanting to create a workshop around their books and obviously thinking about maybe the bigger picture of the book, but weaving it back in. So you mentioned as well before that you got chatty with your local librarian and then from there have, have gone into other libraries and stuff. Obviously, you can't visit every single library to go in and talk to people, but where you can, you would suggest going in to find the right person, having a conversation. But if you can't, if you want to extend the reach, would it just be identifying the right person through emails or phone calling and then just pitching yourself to that person via correspondence? Yes. So the libraries in, in WA yeah. are great because they have like, um when they put on a workshop, they put it up on like a board like it's a board that all the libraries can see and they set up tickets through Ticketek or another provider I'm not sure who and even if it's a free workshop they will always uh, allocate tickets so all of the libraries are on those systems and they see when your name pops up like if you can lock in one great if you can lock in two or three in your area that's even better because the librarians will naturally start to see you pop up and they'll think oh who is this person and what are they doing so that's the first thing that happens and then when you present at the library and you be lovely to the librarians and they take a photo of you and give you a testimonial, then you can mention to them, do you know any other libraries that are looking? Is there any contact names you could give me of someone who would like what I've just done? So that helps. And then I've also cold emailed libraries, but I'm very strategic in what I put in the body of the email. Don't give them a whole vomit page of, you know, who I am or what I've done. I actually make my own little library press release or flyer and I attach that to the email it's got photos of me um, presenting and it's also got testimonials in it um, so they can see straight away even if you can't get a picture uh, of the children's faces which in most cases you can't because we don't have approval to use it you can ask a librarian to take a photo of the crowd if it's the backs of their head so that's really good because it shows the how large the groups are that you've been pre presenting to so all of that helps you attach that to the email and you put a very targeted uh, email together about who you are what you can do and then uh, I also in include that uh, I've got a working with children track, I've got public liability. So all those kinds of things. And these are my rates. And then the librarians generally come back to me and say, wow, you've just like answered every single question. We're happy to book you because, you know, we know that you're on to it, you switched on. It's definitely not an email that says, hi, I'm an author. Can I book a workshop? It's more than that. It's got to be like, here's all the information you need yep. if you like me. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Do you include, uh, I have saw someone include on their website, I wonder if it's less thing now that you're like COVID vaccinated or anything like that. Is that something? Oh, no, important? I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> the, li the librarians won't touch that anymore either. Yeah, I fair think, enough. Uh, they don't really ask anybody for proof yeah. of vaccination so or anything. It's really good that you've got the, you've put in the working with children check. Do you need to have a working with children check to do these presentations around children? Probably. Uh, I believe yeah. so. I yeah. think so. I think I it's think a, a requirement. Mm, Anybody good, can good get one. I think it costs about $120. And if you just Google working with children check, it, you just apply through the government. And if you've been caught speeding in your car, it does not recognize that, just in case. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Only any child offenses. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's only related to shoulder flies. Yeah, so cars are okay. It's okay if you just went a little bit over. All right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, I've had one in the past for an, an old job that I used to have, which was at um, St. John of God's at the sports med reception. But we, the ladies that used the hydro pool for the pregnancy and stuff, we used to have to look after the babies like while they were doing their exercise. Oh, wow. Just just, just in their pram sort of. But you needed uh, working with children check for that. But it was pretty um, easy to obtain for the work. So, yeah. no, that's good something that you don't really think about so obviously when you're pitching you've got that sheet and you put your rates right up front so with payment Mm -hmm. what should authors expect to be putting their rates as yeah, no problem. So uh, I've done a couple of different things with my workshops. So for uh, a one hour creative writing workshop where I'm coming in as the author, I charge ASA rates. It can be a bit tough because like other authors too that are far you know, more experienced than me and have many books out are also charging ASA rates. So that's where you need to have like a little point of difference. There has to be a reason why they pick you over someone else. So yeah, it can be a bit tough, but uh, I do charge the ASA rates and every single library I've ever told has been happy with that. They just presume that I'll be charging ASA rates. So if you're not sure what ASA is, it's the Australian Society of Authors and you can just go to their website and you can Google the rates of pay and it's broken down into library and schools and it's broken down if you're doing online or if you're doing live and if you're giving them permission to use it afterwards, things like that. Um, But having said that, I did do an amazing five-week course with uh, a library, one of my local libraries where I actually work with kids to make video recordings of book reviews for the West Australian Young Reader Book Award. And so that was actually using not so much my author skills, but my filmmaking skills, because I also have a background, I've got teaching and filmmaking. So that's really handy. So I worked with, I think, 13 kids, they were a bit older, and we would do one hour a week over five weeks, and they uh, filmed their own book reviews on a green screen. And I went through that process of pre-production all the way through to editing with them. And I charged rates based on uh, what an industry professional filmmaker and editor would charge and I'm privy to that information because I also lecture at TAFE in the film and television department so I know how much people were charging so I did more of a package deal so I think if you're being hired for another reason other than being an author you would be best to go out to industry and find out how much people with your skills are charging and then put together a package. Uh, that's really good advice. And no, I don't think so. I think that's one thing that we all sort of struggle with, isn't it? Like self-worth, self-value, self-confidence. But at the end of the day, like you said, you're a professional. You've got that knowledge that, that you're putting out there. It's worth money at the end of the day. If you think about what they what they would have to pay to obtain that usually. But that's great. I mean, was that something that the librarian and you did together or something that you had come up with because yeah you don't really think about we always sort of think about the short-term workshop but maybe even the longer term one so was that did you say that was over uh like a summer holidays or something or was that just during the week or school times or yeah, so I did my first one uh, was in January. So it was a December, January holidays. And I was um, a little bit cautious of saying how much I would charge. But I just I ended up thinking like, if I don't start out on the right foot, I'm always going to be nervous about charging. Okay. So I just went for it because I'm an ASA member. And I was like, well, are you happy to pay ASA rates? And the librarian was like, no problem. That's what we always pay. So it really put my mind at ease. And then after I did the first one and realized like I put a lot of work in, I wanted to 
to have an awesome presentation. I also use a lot of my own resources, which cost money. And unlike some people, I also print my own paper. Now you can get the library to print the papers that you need, but I freak out because I'm a teacher. There's always problems with printers. So I, I end up spending like 50 bucks on printing because I've yeah. got to have this double-sided game card that they can use because if they don't have that, everything falls over. Charging the ASA rate for me was important because I do have a lot of costs. Yeah. And then once I did one and realised it was standard, like I was fine to charge that from now on. And then if the library didn't want to pay that and they wanted to reduce my rates, I'd have a chat to them about why first. Like if they're low socioeconomic or, you know, their budgets are low for some reason, then I would consider you know, having that discussion and working out other ways. But if it's just because, you know, they're just like, oh, that's too dear, then I'm like, well, that's my time. That's the industry standard. Yeah, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be worried about it. I'm just going to move on. Like everybody has a choice and, and they're not prepared to do it, so that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. And I've spoken to a lot of professional, not professional authors, but long, you're a professional author, <laughs> we're all professional, but authors that have a big backlist and they've been in the industry for a long time. And they they absolutely encourage all authors to use the ASA rates because the ASA have fought for authors' rights to use these rates. That is industry standard and it doesn't matter where you're starting out, but that is the bar and everybody should, you know, accordingly. There is some author websites that I've seen and, and established authors that have been in the game a long time and they have their saying on their website you know we go by ASA rates however I you know we can work together to create a specific quote so just ask me like if it's you know they yeah. have that already stated on there so that's good uh, so you mentioned you provide a lot of the materials yourself is that <laughs> so these workshops is that something that one would like what would one expect if they had to like a workshop to come through the library would they expect usually the libraries to provide stuff or would they be expected to provide their own things Crap. I think really it depends yeah. for me I, it depends on like my brain and being comfortable like if I went to a library and said can you print this for me I need a you know this this and this and then I rock up on the day and it's not there yeah I would just flip like I wouldn't be able to handle it <laughs> and the session would be terrible <laughs> so for me it's about feeling confident and I guess safe and knowing that I have what I need to be able to get through even if something goes wrong. So for me, it's a personal choice to do my own printing because it's key to my presentation. It's key that they have this one thing that they collect data on. So I know it does cost money and I've looked, you know, for cheaper printing options, but I can't get past it. Like I can't ask a library to print that thing and just be scared it's not there. So that's really important. The other thing I've tried to do, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, maybe everybody could write a comment on your podcast. <laughs> yes, we'd <laughs> but, love um, that. Yeah, I just, uh, so I kind of tour a program like a workshop I don't create a workshop for every single library so I've developed it over time and I've adjusted it so I can do it I can now do it live in front of 90 kids or I can do it in small groups in front of 30 kids so it depends on the size really but it is the same workshop so I make changes here and there but it is the same thing and then once I've kind of toured that like once I've hit a whole bunch of libraries in different areas then I'll change to my next workshop which will need to be different it will still have similar ways that it runs like it'll still be small group activities it'll be working fast and hard it'll be them you know collecting data and having fun and playing games but I definitely will need to change the content soon so mm -hmm. um, that saves me time because I'm kind of a touring show at the moment and 
it's awesome because every time I do it, I get more and more feedback and I can just, you know, make it that little bit better. And you're probably um, so versed in it as well that it's just you, like riding a bike and driving a car. You just do it and it's it's still excellent. Each time I heard yeah. one author recently it's- say that they, you know, they've done their presentation so much now they can just be doing it and probably thinking about a shopping list at the same time. <laughs> like, uh, well, like- I just... <laughs> I was going to say, I throw in some funny jokes. Like I test the waters now because I am so confident. Like uh, during book week, I had 90 kids chanting, slap that kid. They were literally <laughs> going, slap that kid. Slap that kid. <laughs> <laughs> so they all had like little rubber slappy hands oh, and they were funny. slapping a board which had superpowers listed on it and it was right. helping them to develop character. But 90 kids chanting, slap that kid. <laughs> and I was laughing so hard, but I'll probably not get invited back. <laughs> so funny I know but think how many um or what how many people all the kids told (laughs) yeah I know one of the teachers came up to me afterwards and said that was an amazing presentation but I think the kids are just gonna take away slap that kid (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and if they've got that it might be like yeah but things like that you know like uh and adult jokes for the teachers like depending on the like the group it's always good to know what primary school you're presenting to like if a primary school comes into a live and you know that it might be like a private school or something you you just need to watch your language like things like you know sometimes a slip of the tongue like oh my god that's amazing but it's a religious school so maybe you need to say oh my gosh (laughs) yes uh, good points there so your new book maybe in Beth your workshop that you're sort of putting out at the moment is remind me again is it creating do you make is it Wooden Whistle? Oh, maybe in Beth, yes. So this yeah. is my new workshop that I'm touring at the moment. I've only done it a couple of times because um, I love the Looking for Lily workshop. It works so well. But, yes, I have to move on. I can't just keep doing that forever. <laughs> well, you can still do so that, we, though. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, so with Maeve with and Beth, I um, make kazoos with the kids. Oh, kazoos, yeah. 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 And, and so one... Providing that. <laughs> Yeah, I am because so one of the libraries said that they would provide the items to make the kazoos. And so I'm a bit of a nerd. I went home and I'm like, I'm got to make this kazoo first and it has to work because I can't teach a session where I'm like risking it yeah. and the librarian's like no no I've done it I've done it and so I <laughs> bought all these different sizes of pop sticks I had to find lackey bands which is impossible because they pretty much don't exist anymore and I'm so glad I did because there was an issue with the lackey bands they had to be a certain size and they had to match up pop sticks So she had made little tiny ones and I had made really big ones and I had tested like all different types. So I was like, oh, it's only, you know, it's only a couple of dollars and the kids will keep them forever. So I was just like, okay, I'll sort it out. So I went and got everything I needed and the kazoos were amazing. And I'm just so glad I tested what I was doing. It's really important to test. It's the same with looking for Lily. I practiced on my husband and my daughter and I made sure, you know, the time limit was there and it got to one hour and I made sure they enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you actually do that? You did it from start to finish, making the activities like all of it. That's right. Yeah, so I even did. did with yeah, I did the games grid, and my and my husband was there spinning spinners and slapping things with his slappy hand, and they were having a ball. Enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, well, that's it. Hey, that's that's the toughest crowd one over. So nah, that's that's really good advice there. So can you share with us, you know, what has been coming to mind, like the best and worst moments of presenting? And any yep. sharing any more tips uh, that you want? Because you've already shared so much. Okay. So the uh, the worst presentation was my very first one, which will probably be the same for everybody. 
body. So don't let it eat you up if this happens to you. Like just move on because it, seriously, it happens to everyone. So I went country and I went out to a primary school who asked me to present. And I, I guess I questioned myself and I asked some author friends what they would do. And I had been given some advice to run an activity. So I was like, okay, that's pretty cute activity. I'll give that a go. And I did it at home and I wasn't quite sure. And then I went down to the school and I did it and it just did not work. It was, uh, yeah, it just was um, too quick. I didn't have enough content and I didn't actually believe in the activity I ran because I didn't, I didn't design it myself and uh, I didn't have passion for it. So I think it's really important that no matter what, you create a workshop that you love yourself and that you've practiced and that you've tested if you're building stuff or you know playing games and then when you walk into that room for that very first time you believe in what you're doing so if you take too much advice from other people um, and you try something they suggest it sometimes doesn't work out because you don't know what you're doing or you don't believe it Mm -hmm. so that was the very worst thing that happened Uh, actually one other thing recently happened (laughs) so this is kind of funny you'll like this one I know, I'm like, ooh, tell me. <laughs> I was teaching characters and I was saying that there are three types of characters. There's a animal character, a human character, and a fantastical creature. And I actually, um, halfway through the presentation, I said, now, what were those three things? There was an A word, there was a H word, and there was a very long F word. And the kids just went, what? <laughs> So that was probably the worst thing I've ever done. And straight away after the presentation, I checked what primary school it was, hoping it wasn't the wrong kind of primary school. And thank goodness it wasn't the wrong kind of primary school. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I oh. think the teachers just laughed it off. Yeah, but I'm yeah, sure. Just, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then I guess the best things like I really love doing the five-week course with the filmmaking um, because I got to test things like uh, each week we'd start so I only had them for an hour and to teach kids how to make films in like five hours one hour per week is crazy Mm. so I had to select the content really carefully but I knew that you're in that hour you really only get 30 minutes of them really uh, concentrating the rest of the time is like getting to know each other being nervous how many kids I had uh, I started with 13 I think Uh, I think it was a 12 person course but someone snuck in. Someone snuck in that shouldn't have been there. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) Each week I started with an icebreaker and that's like a really fun game. So you can just Google icebreakers and get them standing up and uh, they learn to work with each other a lot quicker. And I also, and this is really handy, I'd move the seats around every single week. So you could do this even with a one-off. Have a really good think about how you want your tables. And for me, I usually do small groups of six and within that, small group of six which is kind of like a a square I'll break them down into pairs so I'll have three groups of two on each table working but each week with that course I like one week they walked in and there was small groups the next week they walked in and there was a huge boardroom week (laughs) after that they walked in there was no tables at all only chairs in a circle so they don't stay in with your small groups if they sat down they're not in that small group no I rotate every week yeah they've got to get to know each other if it's a longer course yeah Yeah, no, that's good advice. Do you think you you sort of have to think about what is the purpose of the workshop? And as you said, it's not not necessarily because you're getting paid. It, it is kind of promoting your books in a way, but what is the purpose of the workshop? Educational-wise, entertainment-wise, what do you want? Like thinking of the extension when the kids leave, what do you want them to have left with? Like fun, excited, or like actually have left with the knowledge of something? Like it's important yeah. to think of afterwards, I suppose, or... 
Yep. So if I've got the kids for one hour, there's three things that I want to hit. So I want to connect with them. And my first couple of slides is about me as a young person, probably around their age and my experiences of writing and generally their negative experiences, like things that I felt as a kid. And so I can engage with them that way and connect. So that's the first thing I want to do. I want to have some kind of connection, which is quite difficult in one hour when you're in like a presentation. The second thing that I want them to do is just to learn one thing. If they can walk away after my workshop having learned one thing that's new about writing then I'm super happy and I ask them at the end and I tell them at the start I'm like you're going to learn one thing today and then at the end I go okay what was that one thing mm -hmm. so they all put up their hands and then I ask each person and generally they'll summarize the whole class for me so even if they only did learn one thing they're hearing the whole thing Mm. So that works really well. And then the third thing that I want is for them to have fun. They have to walk away feeling positive. I don't ever raise my voice. I never yell. Uh, if a kid is being rowdy or, you know, playing around a bit, I'll always compliment the kid next to him for doing or her for doing the right thing. I'll say, wow, yeah. you're sitting up really beautifully. And then that kid that's next to that person goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's positive reinforcement. So, yeah, I want them to walk away happy. And generally the librarians say to me that on their way out the kids are like wow that was amazing or they'll come up to the desk and say they had a really great time so if I can get that kind of feedback then like I've done my job and I'm happy to be paid <laughs> yeah no that's amazing uh just one thing coming to mind which uh you know I think you touched on sort of in the beginning about librarians and their schedules and stuff like that so if you are pitching a workshop how far in advance because I know a lot of the library systems are different with their yeah. events people some are booked out like sort of three months in advance some are yeah. sort of just every couple of weeks like they're all different really so mm -hmm. when what time frame would you say if yeah. you were pitching this year would you be pitching now say for next year or yeah. when should you uh, yeah. timing this yeah so I think it's important to have some news like uh I'm, I don't mean about like a huge email about I've done this I've done that I've done that I think it's important to have one key piece of information that will hook them in so like for example if you've been shortlisted in a competition or you're been placed uh, in something or you know you've had a whole bunch of sales on I don't know Amazon or you know you've got a bit of news I think that helps to hook them in. I've also sent them a link to podcasts like yours where I go, this is what I'm like live <laughs> um, and just give them a taster, you know, so that helps. And then I think that right now I'm booking for December, January holidays and 2024. I think like if you're new to this, you really need to start with a champion. You really need to find the right person in your local area to get you through those first couple of presentations. Until you've done that, I definitely wouldn't email out mm. cold. I would wait until I've got yep. something to show like photos and a quote and that you're confident and comfortable. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, probably three months out and don't harass like the librarians will read it they all work part-time no librarian I know in youth collections area works full-time that I'm aware of they will all work like a Monday Friday or a Tuesday Wednesday Thursday something like that and getting to know their schedule or like you'll get the notice that says they're not in those days and don't stress about it if you haven't heard anything within a couple of weeks then they're probably not interested move on and then just remember so I have a spreadsheet where I mark down all the library I've contacted and on what date and then I probably won't hit another library that hasn't replied for another six or 12 months and then the libraries that do reply and say you know we're not interested 
you're not the right kind of person for us or it's too expensive, I make a note and I probably won't hit them again until I'm in another level of famous. <laughs> or maybe yeah, they'll come to me enough. one day, you know, <laughs> 10 years time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's it. Well, please tell us about the new book and where everyone can find, you know, the other book, Looking for Lily and Maeve and Beth and, and find all about you and your fabulous workshops. No problem. I've been talking about Looking for Lily for so long that it's quite difficult to talk about Maeve and Beth. <laughs> brand new. Yeah, Maeve and Beth is for five to 10 year olds. It's a chapter book, but it's definitely like an early reader chapter book. So Looking for Lily was 14,000 words. Maeve and Beth's only 4,000. It's got some beautiful illustrations by local author Alison Mutton, who uh, won the Spark Award with Squibby. She's great. The, the, the She brought so much to the book. So it is available Australia-wide. I have a distribution through John Reed Books and the Australian Society of Authors. Any independent publisher can do that. So I encourage you to do uh, a workshop with the ASA and learn about it and decide whether it or not it's for you I choose to do it because it gets me into all the bookstores so you can purchase maybe a Beth from Booktopia Amazon you can go into Dimmix uh, your local bookstore you can order it because I'm in all the systems and looking for Lily um, I kind of do limited print runs so there's not many floating around so if you find one and you'd like to read it grab it because <laughs> I've heard there's only about 10 left in Australia and I'm not doing another print run no. however you can print on demand through Amazon yeah amazing oh well thank you so much christy for your expertise it's been absolutely fantastic really really good tips there and new book looks fabulous so congrats to you thanks for having me i love your podcast oh, thank you <laughs> bye So there you have it, folks, the supreme Christy Nita Brown, who is so generous with her advice and experiences. And she's just a super fantastic all-far presenter, an all-round amazing human being. So go and check out Looking for Lily and Maeve and Beth, just absolute quality in independent publishing. Her books have won awards, for uh, voted by kids, and yeah, really, really fantastic products that Christy produces. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have non-fiction and thriller writer, podcaster and author entrepreneur Joanna Penn chatting to us about her new publication and Kickstarter, Writing the Shadow. And it truly is an episode not to be missed as we deep dive into the inner workings of yourself as an author and how it can help your creative business going forward. I wish you well in your author adventure this next week. That's it from me. It's bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you are further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.